Thanks. Stephen, I'm going to be a little loud, I think, so thank you. I'll be quiet right now while we get things adjusted as not to scare anyone. Good morning. I'm Andrew B. I'm uh, currently the pastor here at Meadows Christian Fellowship. If you've been around at all this month, then you've probably heard Transition is coming. And uh, we're just beginning to work through that. And so uh, I just invite you to come down to lunch afterwards as we continue to pray and just dialogue about that. Um, But it's been interesting to think about this morning in light of that um, because uh, God calls people. God, God calls each and every one of us in many ways and some of us in specific ways. And I believe that understanding that calling, applying that calling is part of our spiritual maturity. So we're in a series right now uh, through our seven shared member values. If you're newer to the church, uh, you can find those on our website or uh, any elder or myself. We'd love to just talk those through. About a year ago, year and a half, oh, it's coming up on two years ago now, we revised our constitution as part of just reevaluating some of our structures and systems. And so we revised that constitution, and as we were thinking about membership, we started to dialogue as elders about um, what should we put in there, what should we say about membership. And, And we landed on values, these shared values, that as members of Meadows Christian Fellowship, when you Uh, have been coming to the church for a while when you go, hey, uh, we think this is our church home or we could land here for a time, then we just encourage you, would you seek to be members? And and that's really just a uh, affirmed and demonstrated commitment to this place. And it comes, you know, with our Baptist polity. It comes with the the privilege of voting and um, sharing in the decision-making process. But more than that, it's a commitment to relational investment in one another. And so when we say, hey, are are we members here? That means, are are we committed to one another here? And so our commitment is based on these seven shared member values of affirmation. We want to declare what God says is true about each one of us. Uh, we we want to affirm what God is saying in his word to us and through us and about the world. And we want to engage in ways that affirm one another. That takes grace. Grace for each other because we're human. Go ahead, pinch yourself. Really, go ahead, pinch yourself. Or someone. Yeah, you can pinch someone else. Um, and, and that will communicate that, okay, we're alive, right? Are we alive this morning? Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, good. Whew, thanks. I was worried. But if you're alive and a human, that means you're not perfect. Sorry, sorry to bear that bad news to you, but um, that means we just need grace. Grace from God in and through Jesus Christ that reconciles us to him and grace for one another that just kind of covers a lot of stuff. Humility, just having a right perspective of who we are, not thinking less of ourselves, just thinking about ourselves less, thinking about others more, thinking about God and his work and his will. It's humility, trust, building this easily, easily damaged commodity. 
working to encourage one another and to be dependent on one another, to be there for each other, to follow through, to speak truth, all of those things. Submission, being willing to order our lives under another in a way that lifts up according to God's purpose and plan and for his glory. Do we submit to one another, this mutual submission? Are we submitted to leaders for our good? These are all values that we say as members. These these are the basis for our relationship together and we come to maturity. This is our hope and desire. That as members here, we would grow up in Christ. That we would mature, that we would uh, seek to be children or even worse, yes, infants that really don't have uh, uh, an understanding of who we are or what we need. We don't have the ability to really uh, grow ourselves, to feed ourselves, to mature. We just desire that we'd all grow up into the head, that we'd look more and more like Jesus. And so we've been looking at spiritual maturity this month, and I've just given this as a working definition for spiritual maturity Spiritual maturity is a spirit-empowered eagerness and ability to do life with God and others in a way that glorifies, edifies, and testifies. Spiritual maturity is a spirit-empowered eagerness. It's this thing that the Spirit has to do in us. If, If you have not come to Christ, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death and your Lord who leads your life, and then been given the Spirit, which is just part of that exchange. When we come to Jesus, He indwells us by His Spirit. If you haven't made that commitment to Jesus Christ, then spiritual maturity will probably not make sense to you, and it will be impossible, because spiritual maturity is this Spirit, Holy Spirit-empowered eagerness. It's a desire, it's a craving. We, we want to get after it. Because we see its importance. We, we see that it's connected to, to God getting glory in our lives. To us building one another up in the church. To our individual and corporate testimony about the goodness of God. It's this eagerness. We, we want to do this. And an ability. We understand more and more. We're experiencing that knowledge that we saw in Colossians. That we go, oh wow, this book... God's word is beginning to make more sense to me. And, and, and I'm finding an ability to apply it to my life. I'm living it out with greater and greater consistency. And then we can look and go, is God glorified in our lives? Do we walk in a manner worthy where people go, wow, you must have a good God because your life's different. Do, do we see each other encouraged and built up in the body? And are we having a testimony where the world takes notice of us? So to help us get at this, I just said that spiritual maturity, this uh, spirit-empowered eagerness and ability to do life with God and others in a way that glorifies, edifies, and testifies, it really flows from... It flows out of, so what do we really need to be pursuing? What do we need to get our hearts and minds around? It's not just this concept of maturity. There's some key components to that. It flows out of an understanding and application of our identity 
who we are in Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he, he changes us. We have a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. We have this new identity. And as we understand and apply, as we live out of that identity in Christ, we grow in spiritual maturity. Our gifting, what has the Spirit done in you? If you've come to Jesus Christ and have the indwelling Spirit, He has gifted you. You have gifts that were given to you for the good of our body. So are we living out of that giftedness? Are we understanding our giftedness? Are we applying our giftedness? And this morning, I want to look at calling. And then next week, we're going to look at, this is assessed by fruitfulness. And we're just going to pray through the fruit of the Spirit together. Asking God to reveal where we have good fruit and to grow us in areas where we may not. But this morning, in calling, I want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, this wasn't uh, intended to be an overview of 1 Peter um, way back when I started to plan out these sermons, but it, it just kind of became that way because, uh, one, I really like 1 Peter, and two, he has a, a pretty clear outline that fits very well with identity, gifting, and calling. Calling is, is the understanding and application of what God's doing in your life. And as we understand and apply your or our calling, so I want to just pause and say, you have a calling. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, he's put a calling on your life. Your very salvation is part of his calling on you. And then we, together as a church, have a calling. Understanding and applying your, our calling produces humility, stability, and hope in our lives. We've sung about those things this morning. We've looked at another place in Scripture written by another author who who said very similar things to this. But when we understand and apply our calling, it produces humility, stability, and hope in our lives. So here's our outline for this morning. Um, We are called by, to, and for someone. Not something, not some task, but we are called by, to, and for someone. And that someone is always at work in the world. So let's read our text today, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to start at verse 5b. Okay, just remember the chapter marks and verse marks, they're not inspired. Okay, they came after the fact, and I just think this one's a little off because he starts a flow of thought, and he adds some uh, emphasis that I think is important. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you. That's why I think this is a new section, because he has been talking to elders, and now he shifts, and he goes, hey, clothe Clothe yourself with humility. Of course, yes, you elders, but all of you should clothe yourself with humility. With humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time you may, he may exalt you 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we are called by, to, and for someone. So who does First Peter, this text, Peter, say that we're called by? We are called by someone. That someone is the God of all might, the God of all mercy. I'm so thankful that these two ideas, these two areas of God's character are put side by side in this text. Because if God was only the God of all might, we would be utterly consumed. But he's not only the God of all might, he is also the God of all mercy, and so we are not consumed. We are called by the God of all might. Since these two are paired, we can say, okay, that that might is not simply about his judgment, but rather it's about his capacity to consummate his purpose and to protect his people. He is able to finish what he started. He is able, because he is the God of all might, he is able to do everything that he has promised to do. And along the way, he is able, he has the capacity to protect his people. When we think about the God of all might, we might go back to creation. The God of all might is the faithful creator of everything. And so if we want to see a demonstration of God's might, there is little that compares to being in nothingness and God saying, let there be boom. And he brings everything into existence. He orders everything in the heavens and on earth and under the earth. He creates everything with simplicity and complexity. He creates everything by speaking it, by calling it into being. That's why I think understanding and applying this idea that we are called by someone actually begins to produce humility. All right, so if God is the God who has created everything, he's just called everything into being, including you and I, then we can see our rightful place beneath him, below him, submitted to him. We can see ourselves more clearly as the creation, not the creator. 
And so as we come and see that we're called by the God of all might, the one who created everything, it starts to produce humility in our lives. If we understand and apply that we're called by this God of all might, the one who created everything, it begins to produce stability in our lives because the scriptures say that not only did he create everything by the power of his word, but he sustains everything by the power of his word. That means your life is never cut short. That means that time is not going to come to an abrupt end, that God has the capacity to bring all things to be that he desires to be. And he has the capacity to protect his people throughout all time, throughout every generation. And all of a sudden, if we realize that that's who we're called by, we can have stability in our lives. We can go, wow, this is a troubling time. But, but we're called by the God of all might, who oversees time, who is eternal, and who's created time itself. So maybe he has this under control. We're called by the God of all might, and that begins to produce hope in us. Oh, if he is able to do all that he's promised to do, then we can count on his promises. If he's shown himself, which he has, to be faithful every generation over time throughout all history, then we can go, this is not more than my God can handle. And I can hope that there is goodness in this moment, that there is goodness to come, that my life is secure. We are called by the God of all might. So it begins to produce humility in us and stability in us and hope in us. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, under the God of all might, so that at the proper time he might lift you up. That word exalt, remember, we talked about how that's to lift up. That means that God's mighty hand, his complete strength, is is to lift us up. We have his right hand on our side, which, which might bring our thoughts forward in biblical history. From creation to how God interacts with his people. He is the great deliverer, the great liberator of his people. He is the God of all might. And so when he calls his people into the promised land and they come to Jericho and they go, what are we going to do? It's filled with giants. We don't have anything to fight against these people. He goes, yeah, you do. You have my mighty right hand. And that's all you need. I will deliver you because I am the God of all might. And when we begin to see how God works in the world on behalf of his people and on behalf of his purposes, we can go, wow, I can't do that. That's not my place. I don't have to fight that battle because God's mighty hand is ready to lift me up. And so we can humble ourselves and go, I I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to fight this battle Because I can trust the mighty hand of God that the God of all might is going to lift me up. He's going to exalt me in his proper time, in his way. 
It gives us stability in our lives to know that whatever comes, the God of all might is able to take care of business. And it gives us hope that he led his people into the promised land out of complete slavery, and he's promised to do it again. And so we press on toward that day. We are called by God Almighty. And so Peter ends this section with another doxology. And again, I think he's just caught up. He's enraptured with this reality of God. And he goes, wow, all praise and power. He just confesses, all dominion be to God. That's what he deserves because he's the God of all might. There is no place in this world that God does not exercise his power and authority. There's no place in the universe that God does not exercise his power and authority. There's no place in all of creation that God does not exercise his power and authority. He is the God of all might, of all power, of all dominion for all time. That's who calls us. We're called by the God of all might. And we're called by the God of all mercy. What an amazing truth. The text says, hey, you can take all of your anxieties. Has anybody ever experienced anxiety here? Yeah, I see that hand. And that hand and that hand. And I see a a few hands that haven't been raised, but I know you well enough to know we have experienced anxiety. Hey, why don't you pinch yourself again, okay? All right, you still here? You're still human? Then you've experienced anxiety. And this text says we're called by the one who is all merciful. That means he has utter and perfect compassion. That means he has perfect understanding of who we are and what we face. In fact, so much so that Jesus took on flesh so that he could be a high priest that can relate to us, that can know our pain, that can know our struggle, that can know our anxiety because he's lived it. He's the God of all mercy. That means his mercies never come to an end. They never expire. It's just on and on and on. And he says, hey, uh, if you experience anxiety, you can cast that on me. I'm so glad that this text doesn't say, you can bring that to my feet. You can lay that down at my feet. That means I have to carry it all the way there. But he says, no, no, no. You can cast your anxiety. You can take your anxiety and you can chuck it. Because he cares for us. No matter where you are, no matter how far you feel from God, no matter the darkness of your situation, he says, take that thing and chuck it in my direction. Because I care for you, and I'm ready to take it. Because I'm the God of all mercy. And I've called you. So when I've laid awake at night, which I have a couple of nights this week, thinking about how am I going to pay my bills when I go and plant this church? I don't have a job. As soon as I'm done here, I need a job. And God goes, you know what? 
You don't need to feel that anxiety. You can chuck it in my direction because I'm the God of all mercy and I've called you. And Meadows, I don't know. I I hear a lot of confidence coming from you in our lunches, and I'm so thankful for that. But I, I bet, I believe that there's probably a little part of all of our hearts that we go, what happens to Meadows Christian Fellowship now? Well, guess what? The God of all mercy is calling us into this moment. And he says, you can take those anxieties and you can chuck them in my direction. You don't have to feel them. You don't have to let them tear you up. You don't have to become undone by them. You don't have to be overwhelmed by them because I'm the God of all mercy. I know exactly what you need right now. So would you just come and chuck your anxieties in my direction? He's the God of all mercy and he cares for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then then this idea of someone calling you might sound a little weird, but here's what I can attest to, here's what the scriptures testify to, is that this God of the universe is not far off. He is very near to you. He knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He's knit you together in your mother's womb. He brought you into being. He's placed you in this time, in this place, because he cares for you. And he's calling you. The God of all might and the God of all mercy calls us. says he's the God of all grace. Grace and mercy are so closely tied together. They're like two sides of the same coin. So when we say that he is the God of all mercy, of course he's the God of all grace. And so when Peter follows it up in verse 10 to say he's the God of all grace, he's just saying, hey, just flip the coin over because maybe you need grace in this moment and you know you need grace, an undeserved favor of kindness. You need God to show up in some special way in your life. Well, guess what? He's the God of all grace, too. He's not just withholding judgment. He's ready to lavish you with good gifts. He's a father that knows how to give good gifts to his children. And Peter says, here's some of the gifts that he is so ready and willing to give. He himself, the God of all might, the God of all mercy, the God of all grace, he will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen and establish you. There's so much overlap in this this list of words. There's so much overlap. It's it's like Peter is caught up in himself and he can't quite get enough specificity. There's not words to communicate exactly what God wants to do. And so he just rattles off these words that are flooding his mind by the Holy Spirit. He wants to restore you. He wants to mend you. He wants to heal you. He wants to set it right. He wants to get you ready. He wants to make you adequate. He wants to confirm you, to make you firm, to strengthen your resolve, your mental and and emotional fortitude. 
He wants to shape your affections. He wants to empower you. He wants to uh, make you strong spiritually. And he wants to establish you or secure you. All of these words come tumbling out that have related meanings to to, to declare to us that God wants to do everything we need him to do in order to make us spiritually mature and useful in his kingdom. And so when he calls us, he's the God of all might, he's the God of all mercy, and he's so ready to give us everything we need. It's like, come on, I'll give you more, I'll give you more, I'll give you more, I'll give you more, I'll give you more to make you ready and able and strong and secure and confident and mentally and emotionally sound so that you can do all that I want you to do. He can't give us enough. He's so ready to pour out the treasure store of heaven onto our lives to accomplish all that he desires to do. And he goes, I know you feel inadequate for that. Because this is my job. I know you feel ill-equipped for that. I know you have doubts about if you can do that. But he says, you know what? I'm here to restore you. I'm here to confirm you. I'm here to strengthen you and establish you. And I'm going to give you everything you need in order to do what I've called you to do. That's his promise to us in this moment. That when we call on him in humility, when we clothe ourselves with humility with one another, he goes, hey, I'm ready. I'm the God of all might. I'm the God of all mercy. And I'm ready to pour out on you everything you need to do what I'm calling you to do. I will make you adequate. I will make you able. I will make you strong. I will make you confident. I will keep you safe. Just answer my call. Have you ever called someone and they didn't pick up? You know, that's more and more frequent nowadays. And so now we have like all kinds of backup mechanisms to communicate with people. Oh, you didn't take my call? I'll text you. Oh, you haven't responded to my text? I'll email you. I'll Facebook message you. I will find you and you will respond. And you know, especially if we really need something. Okay, there have been times that I call my wife and she doesn't pick up her phone. I'm like, oh, I need something right now. Now, I'll tell you, anytime you call on God, and and I was told last week I did this, and I was told there's a lot of people in the room that have no idea why you're putting your thumb to your ear and your pinky to your mouth. Okay, there's no concept, and so I, I, I made sure I kept my phone in my pocket today. This is a phone, people, and I put it to my ear, okay, and back in the day, there was a guy called Get Smart that, you know, had, had a shoe, but, you know, somewhere, this, this was a phone, it had an earpiece and a talker, and it had a long cord, maybe not so long, and so you yanked it right off the thing. You're like, what? Okay, so let's go back here. I will tell you anytime, anytime, any place you call God, He will answer. Okay, and you go, no, 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 I've tried to call God. Really? Okay, maybe you just didn't like His answer, but He answered. Maybe you just were too busy or too consumed to hear His answer, but He answered. 
Because every time you call on God, he answers. But the same is not true the other way around. It is not a given that every time that God calls on us that we answer, that we pick it up, right? So I just encourage you this morning, you are being called by the God of all might, the God of all mercy, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. You go, well, Pastor Andrew, I haven't taken that call because I don't know what God might call me to. Well, I'll tell you what, God doesn't call us primarily to a job or a task or a thing. He calls us to himself. So when God calls your number and you go, I don't know if I want to pick it up, you've had that happen too, right? Your phone rings, we have caller ID now, right? And so you look at the caller ID and you go, not today, bink. Or maybe you look at the caller ID and you go, I know this is about my auto loan. I don't need to take that call. Or my auto warranty or, you know, my social security number, my driver's license or the IRS is calling, except they tell me they'll never call me. And so we ignore the call, right? But oftentimes we ignore the call because we don't understand what the call is to. Or we're afraid of what it's to. God, don't call me to go plant a church. Well, God, first and foremost, he primarily calls us to himself. I love the imagery, and it was in Colossians today that we read. It's in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But here in in Peter, when he says that God is calling us, this God of all grace, this God of all might. He's already told us that he's called us to something specific. And so the text in chapter 2, verse 9, it says that we're called out of darkness into light. And you go, okay, I can maybe get my head around that. He calls us to come out of this place of darkness and into this place of light. And we start to think in locations or in tangibles. And yet, darkness is a person. And light is a person. And so when God is calling us, he's calling us to someone. And that someone is himself. God calls us and he says, um, I'm the God of all might. I'm the God of all mercy. And I, I want to invite you to myself. Now, th- that's a weird expression because we don't know how to share ourselves with one another that way. But he says, here's where you exist. Here's who you are. You're in darkness. You are of darkness. You have been uh, sanctioned to darkness. And this darkness not only is an experience, but it is personified in the devil himself and in Adam throughout Scripture. And so when we hear this term darkness, we are to understand that we are 
of something or to something. We're connected in a way to a person. So the Bible teaches that in Adam, the first man, through Eve, all mankind has come. We can all trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, though we probably don't know enough of our ancestors to do that. But the Bible says the world began with two people, male and female, Adam and Eve, and Adam chose to sin. And because of that, we are all in Adam when we're born. We're all part of Adam. Now again, we don't understand that connection. We can't share ourselves that way. But it's like if you have children, they are in you. They are part of you. But everything, everyone in Adam, in this person, is dead. We're all dead because the wages of sin is death. That means the eternal separation from God. That means that we've been sold as a slave to sin. We've been given over to sin. This darkness. Sin, again, is personified. It's those things that pull at us, pull us away from God. It's the, 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 the flesh and the eyes and the devil. And we're all captive to Satan to do his will. If we are a slave to sin, then we're a captive to Satan. In our sin, we are called to Satan. This is um, a binary. Okay, it's either or. It's not both and or it's not neither. It's either or. We're either in Adam, which means we're a slave to sin, which means we're captive to Satan, or we're in Christ. And God says, hey, I'm calling you. I'm the God of all might. I'm the God of all mercy. And I'm calling you to light. You're like, what does that mean? He's calling us to light. Like he's calling us to the sunshine or he's calling us to stare into these bright lights up here. No, because light is personified in Scripture. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Hey, I'm the light of the world. Oh, what? Well, I'm the light of the world. It's that when I've come into the world, everything takes on this new perspective. Everything is illuminated properly now. And anybody who comes to me, Anyone who follows me. And that's the call of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Jesus is moving through his life and he's calling out, Hey, come and follow me. We are called to someone. And he says, anybody who will follow me, who will will answer the call to me, will have the light of life. So he's this this thing, this person who illuminates the whole world, who, who sheds new light on the world and who gives life. And all of that is wrapped up into light. 
And so God calls us out of darkness and to the light, which is himself. God will never call you to a task before he calls you to himself. And if we begin to understand and apply that we are called by someone to someone, it begins to produce humility. You are not the light of the world without Jesus. But when you are in Jesus, you become light that illuminates everything around you. But he is the light of the world. You are not the light of life. Though when you come to Jesus, you experience that life, that light inside of you that illuminates your whole being, that brings you to life. It produces humility, stability. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the dark, a light is a very helpful thing. When I'm in the dark, I tend to walk, you know, kind of like this. Where is everything? I don't know. But when you flip on a light, you are stable. You know exactly where you need to go. And it produces hope because a light shines forward to where we are headed. And we're promised, we're called to the light for all eternity to experience God's glory forever and ever and ever. We are called by someone, we are called to someone, we are called for someone. When Peter starts his letter in chapter 1, he says, The one who calls you is holy. The one who calls you is holy. He's not just the God of all might and the God of all mercy, he's holy. So, be holy. You go, oh, oh, so, so God's called us for a purpose, and it's to, to live the right way. Well, well, that's one way we could think about it, but a better way to think about it is that God has called us, we're called by God, to Him, to Himself, for Himself. So that out of this relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit, we begin to look like God. We're called for Him as His possession we looked at two weeks ago. We're called for Him as His prize. And we're called for Him to accomplish His purposes. So again, in Colossians, a little later than we were reading, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. We're called by God, we're called to God, and we're called for God. God. And so everything we do, 
we're doing for him. Now, if all of that is true, we're called by God, we're called to God, and we're called for God, then that gives us some clarity about what God wants us to do. Because God does call to tasks. He calls to function. He calls to fruitfulness. And so I believe that God has called me to go plant a new church in Lisbon, Iowa. And I believe that God has called you to continue to be a light-bearing outpost for the gospel in Rolling Meadows. And I believe that because God is continually on the move. He is always at work in the world. So we're called by God, to God, for God, and God, throughout all history and for all time, is at work in the world. So how do we answer that call? Well, first, we answer it by faith. When God calls, this would make it a lot easier. When God calls, my phone doesn't ring. So when I felt called to Meadows 14 years ago, when I felt called to Lisbon back in April, it wasn't a phone call that I got. And your salvation does not begin with a phone call. It begins by faith, and that is the whole continuum of calling. From the very beginning, being called by God, to God, for God, through your whole lives as you work according to his purpose, as you join him in what he's doing. It's by faith. And so we come and we look around. God illuminates our minds. He changes our thinking. He gets our attention. In Romans 8, it says he chose you. If you've come to Christ, then know that he chose you. And then he called you, and he's justifying and glorifying you. And that's all by faith in Jesus Christ. We answer God's call by faith, whether that's salvation or in the things that he calls us to. If we look through scripture, there's about a hundred people that are called into very specific things. So we could say that that's not necessarily the norm for all of us. So you might not be called to go plant a church, but God has a calling on all of our lives. He has a calling on all of our lives. So if we've come to him, by him, and for him, he has a calling on your life. He has a purpose for you to fulfill. And it flows out of that relationship with him. So by faith, we trust that he actually has a plan. In the book of Acts, it says, And he made from one man every nation. So he's talking about Adam. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That means that God put you here at this time in this place on purpose. 
that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. Answering God's call is by faith simply trusting that he has a plan. God has something for each one of us to do in this time, in this place. I think the perspective of individual specific callings is about the scope of that impact. But every one of us has a plan and a purpose allotted for us by God. Do you trust him in that? Do you trust that he's put you in this place at at this time on purpose? That he's put you in your job, in your family, in your relationships, in your neighborhood on purpose? If you do, then it freezes up to just look around. What's the needs around you? What are those needs? And, And Jesus primarily looks at spiritual needs. What are the spiritual needs around you? God's calling you to engage in those needs. He's calling you to live in a way that you're bringing about more of what he desires in the world and in the hearts of people around you. So if you trust that he has you at this time, at this place, on purpose, you can begin to look around and go, what are the spiritual needs primarily, though we can look at physical needs too because they often lead to meeting spiritual needs, what are the needs around me. That's something each one of us can do. That's where I believe my call for Lisbon began. I started to look at that little town to say, wow, it really needs Jesus. It really needs a good, healthy, vibrant, thriving, multiplying church. It needs that. And then we can begin to look at how has God equipped us to meet that need? Okay, so you trust that God has you in a time, at a place, or at a time, in a place. You're looking around to see the needs, and then you just go, how has he equipped me in this time, in this place, to meet that need? We can look at our spiritual gift. How would a servant go and meet that need? How would a teacher go and meet that need? How would a leader go and meet that need? We can look at our abilities. What are the skills that you have? How could I, with the orientation that I have, my skills, the experience that I've gotten over the years, how could I go and meet that need? With your role or position. In my position. However I've come to that as boss or as governance or as pastor or as whatever in your position as parent or teacher or anything in your position, how could I meet that need? And then that flows out of the desires of our heart as we cultivate God's heart in us. We cultivate that through time in his word, through time with one another in his word, through time with one another, through prayer, through worship, through relationship, 
through exercise of spiritual discipline, we cultivate that desire. And especially as we realize that we have been called by someone. We've been called to someone, so we nurture that relationship. And we've been called for someone, so we learn what he's about. I was given this advice my sophomore year at Moody when I was thinking about changing my major. I went to an upperclassman who I respected greatly, and I said, how do you know the will of God? And he said, um, basically what I've said this morning, he goes, hey, is there a need? Uh, Do you have an ability in some way to meet that need? And if you do, and you've prayed, and you've sought the Lord, and you've sought the counsel of others, and you've really surrendered your heart for God, then do what your heart's telling you to do. Now, I would say that my call to Meadows Christian Fellowship in April of 2007 was the most vivid, the most specific call that I have experienced until April of 2021. But as I look back over my life, I can see how that advice has played out over and over and over and over again, oftentimes without my realization. What has changed in the last 20-some years of my life is I've become more aware that that's happening. So this morning, my prayer for you is that you will become more aware that you are being called by someone and that you are being called to someone, that you are being called for someone. And that you will become more aware of the needs around you, believing and trusting that God has put you at this time, in this place. That you'll look and see, okay, God, what have you done in my life that I might be able to meet that need? And after prayer seeking the Lord, wise counsel, shaping our hearts, which is this ongoing process to be more like God's heart, to desire more of the things that He desires in the world. Then do what your heart leads you to with all of your gusto. As you understand that and as you apply that, I believe it will produce humility in you, stability in you, in you, and hope, now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your kindness to us that you have called us, that you are calling us, even right now, Father. And so I pray for those that might not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, those who have not come to a place of acknowledging their sin, of seeing their own need before you and seeing your gift that you have given in Jesus Christ, who is Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that they would answer your call this morning and believe by faith. Father, for those of us that 
have answered that call. Lord, I just pray that you'd be stirring us, stirring in us by your spirit to hear your call afresh. And we, we would see you for who you are. That we would press deeper into relationship with you. That we would understand your heart, your purposes, your plans even better. And then, Father, just give us eyes to see the needs around us. Give us clarity to know how we should step into that, how you have equipped us to do these things. And then, Father, give us willing and courageous hearts to go for it. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.